Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. I am Dr. J. This is a podcast about language, culture, and identity, and how these affect all areas of work and life. My guests range from politicians to artists, scientists, educators, students. I conduct interviews in English, French, German, Hungarian, and Spanish. You are now listening to an episode in English. The podcast also includes two new segments. On the one hand, Dr. J's Soapbox, in which I briefly share with you thoughts that are just itching to be out there. And on the other hand, a segment called Kids Ask, in which children from around the world have the chance to ask my guests a question. The podcast is brought to you by Kulturium.com in affiliation with Quadil Books and Events. For more information about the podcast and about us, as well as for teaching resources and study guides to the episodes, please visit our website, www.culturium.com. That's www.culturium.com. You can also find me on our social media channels with the handle or hashtag DRJPodcast. So don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and updates. This episode is entitled Translating Halloween. The focus of this episode is a children's book and how a common project can bridge cultural and linguistic gaps. Involved in this little adventure were my children and students from Whitney High School in Texas, USA. A warm howdy and moin moin to you all. So let's start at the beginning. We live in Hamburg, and by we, I mean our three kids, my husband and I. We are a German-American family. Halloween has always been a big deal to me, and of course I made sure my kids would know and appreciate this holiday as well. Already, when they were toddlers, I dressed them up in costumes, we decorated our house with cobwebs, spiders, and witches, and we carved pumpkins. But... You have to understand that in Germany, Halloween is not a tradition. In fact, Halloween kind of collides with religious practices. Most of you know about the Protestant Reformation. Well, Reformationstag, or the Day of Reformation, is a national holiday observed in several of the German states, including Hamburg. Reformationstag commemorates the day Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses onto the Schlosskirche in Wittenberg and thus started the Protestant Reformation. And Reformationstag is celebrated on October 31st. In addition, Allerheiligen, or All Saints Day, which is on November 1st, involves church ceremonies and visits to the cemeteries and is observed all over Europe. It is a solemn celebration and involves people remembering those they have lost. It could be compared to Dia de los Muertos, which is on November 2nd, except that Allerheiligen does not involve dressing up or being cheerful in any way. It is rather a time for reflection, for bringing candles and flowers to the graves of lost loved ones, and for honoring all of the saints who have reached heaven. So some people see Halloween as an unwelcome influence from the U.S. Halloween is more frowned upon in the southern German states, where religion plays an even more significant role, but also in the eastern German states, where local traditions persist and are more dominant. In Hamburg, many families celebrate Halloween, and there are even a lot of Halloween enthusiasts A lot of people decorate their houses and engage in festivities. The neighborhood we live in has a lot of elderly people. In order to allow our children to experience trick-or-treating in our neighborhood, my husband and I had to explain the Halloween tradition to several of our neighbors. We had to tell them when we would be coming around and what they could expect in general. So 
Our first year of trick-or-treating, we told everybody that they could expect us to come by in disguise on October 31st and told those who didn't know it already that they were supposed to give us candy. We offered to provide our own sweets and bring it by beforehand, but nobody took us up on the offer. Instead, several older neighbor ladies baked cookies and cakes and served these to us on beautiful platters. Some bought little presents, fruit, stickers, and flowers. Many, of course, had the standard assortment of sweets and candy. One neighbor gave the kids chocolate and served me and my husband schnapps, which is a distilled alcoholic beverage made of fruits and herbs, in case you didn't know. It was obvious to us that many of our neighbors tried to understand our American tradition by relating it to German customs. So let me tell you a little about these. In the northern part of Germany and in Denmark, there is a tradition called Rummelpottlaufen. It involves kids disguising themselves, taking a Brummtopf, which is a type of little drum, and singing songs or reciting rhymes to neighbors on New Year's Eve. The children are supposed to be rewarded with apples, baked goods, and sweets. Another tradition is Fasching, or Karneval. This is celebrated in the spring, the day before the beginning of Lent. Children and adults alike disguise themselves at school and at work. There are also numerous parades and parties organized privately or by various institutions. This is particularly popular in the area around the city of Köln, or Cologne. But for me, the most important outcome of our trick-or-treating was the fact that all our neighbors opened their homes to us for a tradition that is ultimately not theirs and one that some of them even have reservations about. This attests to how wonderfully open-minded people are here and it bodes well for cultures being able to blend and enrich each other. So there we were at a crossroads between American and German traditions. One way we had to adapt our trick-or-treating was by having our kids recite a rhyme that presented their costume and what their Halloween character was all about. This was simply expected of us. Our neighbors actually asked to hear the rhyme before they brought out any rewards. This had to do with their associating the Halloween tradition with Rummelpottlaufen. I'd like to give you a few examples of the Halloween rhymes we came up with over the years because I think they're really cute and they made our trick-or-treating experience more rounded and special. All of these verses were, by the way, written by my husband. So here's one from when the kids were really little. It goes. Wir sind die Superspinnen. Wir wollen was gewinnen. Habt ihr doch nichts für uns hier? Verspeisen wir das Krabbeltier. This was recited by our twins, who were dressed as Spider-Man and Spider-Girl. The rhyme means something like, We are the super spiders, and we would like to win something. If you don't have anything for us, we might just eat up the little crawling critter. And at this point, the twins pointed to their baby sister, who was still sitting in a stroller and was dressed as a ladybug. By the following year, the ladybug could speak. We dressed her up as a pumpkin, but she was still very little and could only say, Ich bin der Kürbis Kuckuck, gib mir bitte Schoko. And you have to imagine this being said with a kid's voice and a slight lisp. It was adorable. The words simply translate to, I am the little pumpkin Coco, please give me chocolate or Schoko, Schokolade. Another year, our older daughter and their friend dressed up as vampires, and they recited this rhyme. Aus dem Grab sind wir erwacht, Vampire jagen in der Nacht. Wir beißen und wir saugen, hast du Tränen in den Augen? Am liebsten nehmen wir Blut, aber auch Süßigkeiten finden wir gut. This translates to, we woke up from our grave because vampires hunt by night. We bite and we suck your blood. Do you already have tears in your eyes? 
We'd love it if you gave us blood to drink, but we'll be happy with sweets as well. And allow me to give you one last example recited by our son the year he dressed up as a soul taker. Ich stehle deine Seele, weil ich so gerne quäle. Ich sauge dir dein Blut, das schmeckt besonders gut. Soll ich dich verschonen? Dann musst du mich belohnen. And the translation. I will rob you of your soul because I love to torture. I will suck out your blood because it tastes so yummy. If you want me to spare your life, you have to give me a reward. Of course, this doesn't rhyme, so it's a little bit nicer in German. As time went by, Halloween started to be celebrated more and more in our neighborhood. In the past two years, the kids even wrote their trick-or-treating rhyme with their English teacher at school. And there have been competing Halloween parties among their group of friends and classmates. Our children are such huge fans of Halloween that in the spring of 2018, they decided to convince several friends to participate in a Halloween project with them. Together, the kids gathered ideas, developed characters and plots, and scouted for locations to film. In the long summer vacation, our twins wrote a script that would serve as the screenplay for their movie. As soon as school started up again, they went into rehearsing with their friends. The movie was shot in the fall using my iPhone. Our oldest daughter drew pictures to smooth over the transitions between the scenes, and our son composed and played music on our piano to give the movie more atmosphere. The kids then convinced a friend of ours to edit and cut everything into a one-hour short movie. Halloween Abenteuer, the movie, was premiered on October 31st, 2018, in our living room. 43 children and 37 adults attended. It was a huge success with young and old. Here are a few small excerpts from the movie so you get an idea of the atmosphere it created and how it went. If you'd like to see a little bit more excerpts from the movie, you'll have to look on our social media platforms where we will put up several little scenes. making experience was very fulfilling, but left our children yearning for more. In the months to come, they involved their babysitters, neighbors, friends, and of course, my husband and me, and they managed to rewrite the screenplay into a children's book. The book with the same title as the movie was published in 2019. But the book was only in German, and an English translation did not exist. Our family and friends in the U.S. complained, of course, that they could not enjoy the kids' work and success because it was all in German. But that's just how it was and that's how it was going to stay. Except that I thought it would be interesting to do a podcast episode on German in Texas. I knew that an old college friend of mine, Lisa Mays, taught German at a high school in Texas. So I got in touch with her for an interview. It turned out that Lisa Mays was doing way more than just teaching German. She was coordinating the German program and she was emerging her students in German culture by having them learn German folk dancing, etc. 
So let me share with you now the brief initial interview I conducted with Lisa Mays in April 2020. My guest today is an old college friend, Lisa Mays. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Lisa, you have been doing some pretty interesting work with German language and culture, and this at Whitney High School in the heart of Texas. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little about your high school in general before we delve into the details of your work? Ah, well, Whitney uh, is a small town in central Texas. We've got a lake, and so we've got about 20,000 people in and around the lake, but the high school only has about 430 students, so it's a pretty small school. And where is Whitney located in Texas? It is a, a little bit west of Hillsboro, so we're between Dallas-Fort Worth and Austin. Okay, and the high school also has a middle school, right? And a oh yes, we have well, a middle school, school. The school has also a middle school, and I think elementary school. Yes, as well, or, we, or have, we have one elementary, one middle school, and we have an intermediate, and we have a high school, and they all have about four hundred students each. Okay, and but are they together? Are they affiliated? No, we're spaced no. out in the little town. But honestly, I would call Whitney a dwarf. It's a, it's a real Dorf. It's Dorfleben out here. So, Landleben, Dorfleben. So, it's a nice village or a nice small, small town. Let's call it a small town. It's a small town. Okay. And yet, you do really... But we'll get to the work in a second, okay? So, so you studied German in high school. You mm -hmm. got to spend some time in Germany. Yes. I, the first year that I went to Germany was in 1988. I went through the University of Kansas. It was a summer uh, university tour, and that was a lot of fun. I said, hey, you know, living with the host family is good, but I'd like to come back and study. And so I went through University of Kansas again, uh, but then I decided I would do uh, the University of Michigan had a program junior year in Munich. That's what I ended up doing. Okay. Um, I we met in Lawrence, Kansas at KU, mm -hmm. where you were teaching German. I was teaching French. I remember you doing already then really exciting things with uh, movie club. And uh, we always had the, the Oktoberfest. Uh, we had all sorts of interesting things at, at KU already. Yeah, the festivals are important. That's a big part of the German culture, you know, with coronavirus right now. Um, Texas has always had a really big festival culture because we have good weather most of the year. And um, so I've gotten involved in the festival culture here. And my students and I, we travel around to perform at uh, local festivals here in Texas. And they have some very big Oktoberfest. We've even traveled as far as Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Okay. So, so tell me, so, so you teach German at this high school. What does, what does that entail? First of all, how many classes or how many students? How's the curriculum? Well, our regular day has eight periods. So I see the students every day and I teach seven classes of German. I teach German one, German two, German three, and German four. That's for each year. They add a number. I have about 100 students this year, but it, it ranges between 100 and 120 every year. Okay, so German 1 is a freshman German. Freshman. And, mm -hmm. and then German First 4 is... high school. Mm -hmm. okay. German 4 would be the seniors. Okay. And, and usually I, when I've had them for four years, I, I get to know them pretty well. They get to know me. Um, so I have a few that we're about to have graduation on June 5th. It's going to be really hard to say goodbye to some of them after four years. That's great that you get to know them as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to know the students over four years and to see them develop, especially at that age, you know, when they're going from freshmen to really young adults, I mean, to going out into the world. Yes, I mean, I've, you and I have both taught um, at the TA level at, at graduate school, but it's not the same when you're working with really young students, age 14 to 18, it's formative. And Yes, you do get to know them in a way that is uh, much more personal, I think, than at the college level. Mm -hmm. And so how many students do you have per group? 
It's pretty evenly divided, although towards the upper level, German level four is not required, nor is German level three. So they tend to not take it after level three. Oh, they so, get so, busy. They have other things they want to do. But so level one and two are mandatory? They're, yes, um, they are mandatory in Texas. You have to learn a foreign language. You have to have two years of the foreign language. Okay, and, and that's something that I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I don't know if you have any statistics on that, but are, are students really in the heart of Texas picking, choosing German over Spanish, for example? Yes. That's great. That's amazing to hear. That's, that's, that's There's really a, probably a number of reasons. There's probably a number of reasons. Uh, Spanish, of course, you can use that every day here. You can real and, and it would be very useful. And I'm not denigrating another language, but oh no, absolutely. The students who want to take German usually want to do something unique. They're unique, and they're. I find I get a very artsy crowd. Um, hey, uh, maybe you could even say some of them are grufties, or back in the day, you know, the goths. We used to call them the goths. Now they're just um, alternative. So I get a lot of alternative students who, and in our case here at our school. Since we have, um, I'm not the first German teacher, I'm the second teacher that they've had. The first German teacher, my predecessor, she started the program and it became popular. And they also participate in the regional and state competitions. And so the students have a chance to get a letter jacket, which they can't do in Spanish. Um, you would think that <laughs> Spanish would have something like that, but they don't. So my students can get a letter, they can letter in German and get a letter jacket, they can receive, they can go to state competitions and receive awards. And Spanish doesn't offer that here in Texas. That's interesting. They have something kind of similar. Um, they have a, a big band competition in San Antonio every year for mariachi style bands. But okay. they don't have it for language and literature like they do for German. Okay, well that that's really interesting, and, and again, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I'm I'm a bit ad, big advocate of uh, having as many languages as you can possibly handle, and and for everybody learning several lang languages, and certainly uh, in the U.S., Spanish I think is a is a very important second language. Uh, but it's just uh, so refreshing to hear that German in the heart of Texas is also really popular among among young people, among high school students. It's 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 fun to hear that. I think that may have to do that may have to do with the fact that you know uh, there was a period of time when the German immigrants to Texas were one of the largest groups, and so there's still a lot of people with uh, German last names. There's a lot of locations in Texas with German names, you know. So I think there's still an interest in learning about your history and your ancestry. So we have students who join because their grandparent was German. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Or the great grandparent. Mm -hmm. So now tell me about, I've seen some amazing pictures. So tell me some of, the, some of the fun things that you do with the students. Well, as part of the Texas German contest, as part of the, the festival scene, I have a big German dance group. And we do traditional German folk dances, Austrian folk dances. Um, Includes Schuplatler. Originally, my group, uh, I inherited it from my predecessor, and we had about 12 students. My biggest group has been like 50. And that's a big challenge in a small school to get them costumed. Because the costumes are not easy to find. You can't. I mean, nowadays you could go on Amazon and buy yourself a dirndl, but you know, the dirndls are, they look like Halloween costumes. <laughs> so in the last few years, I hired a seamstress finally, and she has actually made us trachten, and that looks so much better. We have, we've had the trachten for about three years, and the last two years, we won first place at German contest. So oh, wow. I, I think that made a difference. That's that and later hosen. Okay, okay. So tell us, tell us a little bit about for, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the German culture. Tell us a little bit about uh, Oktoberfest and what what that signifies, and also about these Dandel and and Trachten and Lederhosen. What are they? And well, the Oktoberfest 
of course, is a festival from Munich. Originally, it was uh, to celebrate a wedding. It has become extremely popular. It's kind of sad. This year, of course, they're not going to have the Oktoberfest. And we're not having Oktoberfests that I know of here in Texas yet either. Uh, We're slowly starting to open back up. But these festivals are wildly popular also in Texas. There's an Oktoberfest in Münster, Münster, Texas. There's an Oktoberfest in Tulsa that we take part in. There's something called the Wurstfest in New Braunfels, the Wurstfest. Uh, let's see. There's also Christmas festivals. There's a big one, a German heritage festival in Tomball, Texas, which is near Houston. Um, and they have spring festivals, too. So the festival tradition, the polka and the, the music and the family atmosphere, that's, that's in all of them. That's something that um, I think it teaches the students um, how to interact with each other in a day where everybody is stumbling over, you know, the concrete with while looking at their phones. Um, my students have learned how to interact with people and to socialize. And they've learned empathy as well with each other. We've learned to, as a team, when your students some have strengths and weaknesses. You've learned as a, as a team how to work with those and show off your best assets. So I, I think my students have learned a lot way beyond German and German culture, but they, they enjoy the German culture and they enjoy learning German, although I do believe we start too late, you know, but that's, that's been for a long time. It used to be in World War I and World War II, uh, there were laws against learning German below the eighth grade because they thought of it as indoctrination. Sure. So my students are all ninth graders and older, and it's it's rather late to start learning a language. Absolutely. It's, it's always better late than never. But it's better late than never, and that's when I started. So it's not that you can't do it, but you have to be driven to learn it fluently at that level. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, But I I think I'm teaching more than just language and culture. I'm teaching students um, to to appreciate what they have and to look at the world maybe from a slightly different perspective and and open their horizons a little bit. Maybe long after they have forgotten how to conjugate verbs and how to use the accusative case in German, uh, they'll remember some of these activities that we did. And they'll appreciate that. Absolutely. And to, to go back just real quick to the dancing. Uh, so a danda is a, what a, typically what a woman wears to Oktoberfest. And it's a traditional Bavarian clothing. Um, can you describe mm-hmm. it? A dandel. Yes, a dandel is usually a, uh, it's a peasant style dress that has a bodice, a tight laced bodice, and a flowing skirt and a, uh, an apron. However, the Trachten, which is the actual German dance costume, has, a, has much more material in the skirt. So it, when, it, when they spin, the girls can make a bell curve with their skirt. In fact, they're even judged at the Gaufest, for example. We do have a Gaufest, not in Texas, but up in um, New York, usually. They have a Gaufest every two years. And they are judged by how the the shape of their dress in the turn. Amazing. And you and you hired a seamstress to make the the dresses. Is it a seamstress who specializes in? Uh, yes, she is a German. She's a, a expatriate. She lives. In, she married an American man and moved to the United States. And she was a seamstress by trade in Germany. A Schneiderin. Oh, how amazing. And I mean, uh, who finances all the costumes? Does the high school finance it or is it part part? Uh, <laughs> well, yes, because we are a public high school. Um, yeah, that that is a, an issue. We don't really get much money from the school, but the school has always realized that being out in a rural area, very limited area, that we need to offer the students opportunities to go on field trips and participate and compete against other students of their age groups. So they've been very generous in offering us bus trips. We all get a yellow bus when we go somewhere. 
driver, which costs money. So the school has been very generous with that. But when it comes to the costumes, we fund that by selling advent calendars and by donations. Sometimes we pass the hat at the celebrations and people are very generous. They see the work that the kids are doing and how, how much it means to them. You can see it in their performance. So we've, we've been self-supporting for a while. That's great, that's great. And the advent cal- calendars, tell me a little bit about that. Oh, these are imported from Germany. They're the, just the, the, they're the cheap advent calendars, the Huawei um, calendars. And um, I guess we get them in, I get them at the beginning of November. If I order them too early in Texas, they melt. <laughs> you, can't, you can't sell a melted advent calendar. We just, so we have to order them at just the right time so that they can be sold. And it has to be sold before Christmas. So we, I got to get them around the first week of November. And the students have about two weeks. And it's a mad dash to sell um, advent calendars. That's great. I thought actually you were making them. I I I kind of I didn't know no, no. chocolates. Okay, I thought you were making these little advent calendars. No, that would be nice too. But again, to really have a wide appeal, we've got to do something simple and quick. So that's what we do. And people like the advent calendars because we also, being a small town, we have a lot of elderly people, and they live in nursing homes. And sometimes they want a present to give to someone. So we have actually sold a lot of advent calendars and people know about our program so they order in advance oh that's great that's that's really great i mean and then do you have like a treasurer i mean is it like an actual club that yes i have a treasurer but the treasurer doesn't really handle the money so much as um we the treasurer and the club members they decide on fundraiser activities uh, everything from selling wurst at the local festival you know we'll sell bratwurst and sauerkraut, or we will do cookie sales. We'll have a gingerbread cookie sale. And then the treasurers, their job is more to uh, chase after people who didn't turn in their calendar money. Oh, that's great. I mean, actually, that's really great. That's, I think, something that's a little bit, you know, I live in Hamburg now. I've been living in Hamburg since 2001. uh, And it's, I think that's a little bit different. Uh, all these fundra- fundraisers and all these little activities are, I think, a lot more, um, it's just easier in the States. It's just a little bit more relaxed and a little bit e- more easygoing than, than, than here with activities like that. You know, I don't, I don't know if parents, for example, in Germany would allow their children to necessarily uh, participate in fundraisers. I don't know if people would, you know, I, I just think it's a different view on it, but I, I, I miss that. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's because it's a small community. It's a small community. So we have everybody knows everybody or their friends, you know, in a small community, uh, people wear a lot of hats, which means they have a lot of jobs. You know, one person is the mayor and that person is also uh, responsible for opening up the Lions Club or something like that, you know. So they have a lot of different um they have a lot of different jobs in the in the small town and everybody knows each other. So that that lends itself to support. When the students are receiving success and awards, um, I get a lot of support from our local newspaper, the Lakelander. The Lakelander will print articles with all the students' wins and print their picture in color and they get to be in the newspaper. So we get a lot of attention that way. Oh, that's great. That's really, that's really awesome. It's, it's exciting. And what a great way to support young people. And for you as well, uh, job satisfaction, how, how nice and refreshing. Well, you know, being a teacher is difficult. And being a high school teacher, uh, you could give it all of your extra time and effort. You really could. But you have, to, you have to balance that. You have to say, okay, this is how much I'm willing to do. And it will always take just a little bit more. Uh, but it's the chance to work with these fine students has been really, really exceptional. I enjoy the students. Most of them are wonderful. And the ones that aren't, they'll sometimes they'll come back and they'll say, oh, I loved your class. I had such, I really enjoyed it. I love making Schultuten. I mean, I loved your class. And I said, you, really? You, you loved my class? You didn't act like it. No, I loved your class. 
<laughs> so, so you make, you I make think sure, they remember. You make sure to mm -hmm. when when do you what do you make sure? We make shul tutin in as for the freshmen. Ah, okay. So you make so the so the the, the upperclassmen make shul tutin for the ones who. No, the shul tutin are they usually the students in level one will choose another student in level one and they make a shul tuta for that person. Oh, how nice! Okay. It's not on the first day of school because they haven't learned enough words, but we usually learn about uh, you know classroom objects first, so they know what to put in the shul tutin, and then we time it around Halloween because that's when all the candy comes out. You know, candy's on sale for Halloween, so we do it around Halloween. And that way, um, I had to come up with something good because, you know, the Spanish club is celebrating their Dia de los Muertos. And I had to do something that was almost as good. So carrying around the giant shul tuta, that was really awesome. <laughs> so is, it, is there a little bit of a competition between German and Spanish? Ah, we've actually had trouble keeping a Spanish teacher here in Whitney because the testing to become qualified as a Spanish teacher is rather difficult. They have an oral exam that's very difficult, and a lot of native speakers have trouble passing that test. I don't understand why uh, they have to be so grammar-specific on that test. But yes, there's a very difficult oral test and written tests, and they test you over Spanish literature. And so there's a lot of people who are native speakers who could be qualified, but they, they can't get that Spanish certification in Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay, but what, so what do, you, what do you teach, what do you focus on teaching your students? What German, what, what vocabulary, what situations should they be able to deal with in German? Well, at the basic level, they, students enjoy the most being able to talk about themselves and their own lives. So we start with very basic topics, school, things that they're taking, free time, um, family, the, their chores, things they have to do at home, and future plans. So that's usually uh, by the end of their time, they should be able to talk a little bit about themselves. I usually um, have them write an Aufsatz talking about themselves. It's called Etwas über mich. And then they have to share that for future students who come. Okay. And then how, how good are they at, at level four? Huh, some of them get quite good. Others, not so much. They, there are a few that since you started that late, um, so late in life, I think there are some who never really get beyond vocabulary recognition stage. They can equate a term with another term, but they don't ever understand how to put it together into a good conjugated sentence. They have trouble with dative, especially, mm. and genitive. Mm. These are, I mean, these are difficult things if you don't learn that and spend a lot of time on it. And I, I don't spend too much time just drilling the grammar because I find they won't remember that later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do you think that when they, when they graduate, having completed the four years of German, do you think they're ready to travel in Germany? Do you think they'd be ready for an exchange uh, to Germany? I think many of them are. Many of them are. Those who want to do an exchange, of course, at that point, things will get more difficult. They'll have to start and concentrate on grammar. I think they're, um, they're not everyone is able to concentrate on grammar and nitpicking on the grammar at the high school level. College level, maybe. They have a little more patience for that. But the high school level, you've got to balance it with things that are interesting to them and cultural activities, things that they will remember long after they forgot how to conjugate or that this verb needs dative. Mm, absolutely. So how important is grammar, do you think? I mean, in general, now sort of... Well, I mean, you might be able to answer that better than me. Uh, I've, when I spent time in Germany, there are many people who live for years in Germany and they never master the grammar, but they are able to function in society. Uh, sometimes people, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts a little, you know, when they confuse mir and mich. But do you understand? Probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is one of the things that I've always, uh, that I've always told students is that I think, 
the, the most important thing is to be communicative, to be able to communicate on whatever level and then uh, perfecting Take the risk. And then it, it becomes easier as well. I mean, the more the more you feel comfortable getting in touch with people in a certain language, the more you're going to practice it, the more you're going to go towards activities that involve the language and then by nature, just, just get better at it. So I think, um, although I do think, I mean, depending on what age group, I mean, what, what you were saying as well, what age group you're teaching, I think grammar is important. I think that's sort of, if you're teaching really small children, obviously grammar or even high school students, maybe grammar is not the initial step. But I think sort of if you're trying to teach someone, depending also what, how well the person intends to learn the language. You know, if, some, if someone sets out to really learn a language perfectly or very well for diplomatic reasons or, or for whatever, for, you know, sort of to go on studying the language or literature, then I think starting with a grammar isn't necessarily wrong either. Um, I think then you're able to understand the structure and perhaps the learning process is quicker. Also, if you have uh, access to other languages, if you, if you know other languages, you're going to kind of be able to uh, classify it better and, and, and it's going to make sense faster, I think. But I mean, as far as teaching... Yeah, I have Hispanic students, for example, who because they already speak Spanish, it's easier for them to learn German. So you have to hit the right balance. You, it's possible to kill them with grammar because German grammar is difficult. Absolutely. Here, here. <laughs> you're, you're talking to someone who had to uh, uh, put great effort into trying Yeah, to you had to learn late in life. But doesn't Hungarian have cases? Oh, my goodness. I could, but I could never teach Hungarian. I could never teach Hungarian. Well, that's, that's an example of sort of, I, I think I speak Hungarian pretty correctly, but I could never explain the grammar or I truly don't know what I'm using, what grammatical form or whatever I'm using. I just speak it from at home. So, you know, so it's, it's, so, okay. I think it's so exciting that you have such a successful German program in Texas, in a small town at a high school. Any, any last sort of uh, words of wisdom or any last remarks or uh, maybe even an anecdote, a story, anything? Well, I have lots of anecdotes, but um, I am not the only teacher in Texas that does German. Um, this Texas German Contest Syndicate, if you go online, it's at texasstategermancontest.org. Um, every year, there are 90 plus schools that come and compete. And there's over 1,500 students who compete. There's a lot of German teachers here. 90 schools coming. Uh, that means there's well over 90 German teachers who are preparing their students to participate. And, and so there's a lot of German interest still in Texas. That's amazing. That is amazing to hear. I, I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised to hear that. That's amazing. Anything else, Lisa, that you want to sort of mention? Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I enjoy my job a lot. And yes, there are anecdotes. Sometimes I find uh, working with that age level of students, it, it's difficult to let them have enough free reign. And you want to help them get it right. But sometimes I'll give them, I'll let them do it and see how they manage with it. As an example, I had one of my students figure out the shoes and the socks for the dance team, and he put them in the right baggies and everything. But then when it came to the actual competition, they had gotten the shoes and socks mixed up. And one kid had to dance with a shoe that was too small. And, and so it was, it was kind of funny, they had to make it work. So that's the kind of thing, you, you, want to, you want to go in there and mother them and help them through some of this. But the high school is exactly that age where they have to learn to, to manage on their own. And how so. great, I mean, sort of what you were saying at the beginning as well, that, that they learn so much more than just German grammar. Oh, yeah. language. They, they learn how to live and to, to participate in activities, how to, I mean, in this case, how to care for each other, how to take responsibility, et cetera. So. Yes, I, I, it's changed some students' lives. I've had students who, who cried this year when at spring break, they realized that we weren't going to be coming back to school and we weren't going to be participating in any dance festivals or, or, or doing any more German club activities. They cried because they, they knew that this was coming to an end. 
So we'll have to see. Hopefully things in the fall look better. We'll have to see. If they're going to have football, they can have German dance. There you go. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you so much and keep me posted. I'd love to keep reporting on, on what you guys do. Yes, thank you. Thanks again, Lisa. So, you know that my podcast is brought to you by Kulturreum.com. Kulturreum is a group of individuals who believe in promoting culture, improving general education, and nurturing social acceptance and understanding across the globe. Well, as an initiative of the Kulturreum group, we actually set up a cooperation with Whitney High School, and we tackled translating Halloween Abenteuer. In fall 2020, Frau Mays set up a project with her German classes, levels one through four, in the process of which they were supposed to translate the German Halloween Abenteuer into English. The students were really excited. In fact, Lisa initially wanted to involve only two of her classes, but by popular student demand, four classes ended up participating. On the other end, my kids, as you can imagine, were over the moon. Hey, how are you guys? Hello. 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 Hi, you guys. Let's go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Jordan. Jordan. Uh, I'm Casey. And I'm Kaylee. And we are these two? Fünfzehn. Fünfzehn. Kannst du Auto fahren? I have my permit. Yeah, die können schon Auto fahren. I have my permit. Casey is mit Auto gefahren in die Schule. She travels by car sometimes to school. That's great. How, do you, come, how do you come to school, Lulu? Wie kommst du in die Schule, Lulu? Yeah, always. She rides her bike. Oh, I wish I could ride my bike. I wish I had a bike. Me too. My bike was rusted. Yeah. I'm so Well, hi. Do you have some questions? Gordon and Casey and Kaylee. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's crazy. I mean, I got my license in Texas with when I was 15, um, but here you have to be 18, so. Uh, uh, you have to be 18 to drive a car. Next, or next up? I'm Kaylin. I am Ryder and I'm 14. Hi, Ryder. <laughs> well, we, we were working all week on your um, translation. And we are about 90% done. Woo! That's amazing. <laughs> There's a little bit of a delay, but I think we can go for it. So, okay. You want to tell us a little bit about you and the book? Because they've been translating on it. Well, so do you have any questions for us? Well, we wanted to ask one or two more things about the book. We did have a question. Is how did you um, publish a book at only eight years old? Well, we um, first we gathered a couple kids and we wanted to do a movie because we always wanted to do something big for Halloween. And then we got this idea that we could do a Halloween, uh, that we could do these in this Halloween world. And um, then we did the movie and we had this Halloween party. And after that, we thought maybe we could make the movie into a book. So then we wrote the book. Do you have any pictures of your treehouse? Or können wir, können wir diesen Baumhaus sehen? <laughs> Wait a second. The treehouse is right there. Oh, you can't see it from here, but it's that's our garden. And you see it at the back of the garden. Is oh. The, oh, wait a second. Now I'm going to take you guys outside. Come on, you guys, let's take them outside. This is going to be a really bad recording for the for this podcast, but I want to show it to you now. Wait. We'll take you real quick downstairs and we'll show you the tree house. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, I want to see the tree house because that's where it all starts. Do you see the tree houses in the back? There's the tree house. That's the little one. That's the one that's a kitchen. Then there's a little bridge. It actually has a kitchen. It does have a kitchen. And then that's the Oh, the lights back. Oh, there. That's the one that's the sleepover room. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
awesome. All right, come on, let's go back in so we get good quality sound here. Thanks, kids. As some of you may already know, I have a PhD in French literature. My dissertation and my research have focused on the sociological effects of theater and literature on the community. So, of course, I wanted to approach this project from an academic point of view and support each step with translation theories and philosophy. But the children had their own approach. They just went at it full force with dictionaries, with the internet, with each other. The lines of communication between Texas and Hamburg included intense emailing back and forth and several heated Zoom sessions. Mom was allowed to observe passively and was asked to keep her scholarly observations to herself. Still, I would like to make a few comments at this point for those of our listeners who might suffer from the same occupational malformation as I. Just as a side note, I am convinced that Walter Benjamin would have been happy to see how Hamburg slang gave life to Texas expressions and how the translation of the book allowed for the German and the English language to revive themselves. Ferdinand Saussure, I believe, would have been absolutely fascinated by the difficulties the kids had in actually recognizing the two systems of language and by the wonderfully innovative ideas they used to deal with this problem. As for Gideon Toury, I'd like to think that he would have been excited about how two communities on opposite sides of the Atlantic came together and supported these children in discovering the two different sets of societal norms in the two languages that express them. Mikhail Bakhtin? Well, I think he would have applauded the cultural exchange that went along with this translation effort. And I firmly believe that Bakhtin would find both the original German text and the English translation worthwhile. Finally, Derrida? Well, Derrida, I believe, would say that Halloween travels managed to find a meaning that goes out and beyond that of Halloween Toya. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. But let's go back to how the kids tackled translating. Again, here are some excerpts from Zoom recordings. Uh, well, you know, I mean, you know how the book came about, don't you? Did I tell you the story already? So it was 11 kids who had ideas about how to write this book. And I ran around. They ha I had like all sorts of little group sessions where they could gather their ideas. And um, they had different characters. So I had them in different groups, and then they all had like wishes of you know what they wanted for their character. Yeah. And then we actually had some pretty crazy ideas. For example, I and my friends wanted to actually do like there were some there's like a horror clown and he hides on a tree, and then there's a doll, and the doll looks like it's alive, and then the horror clown jumps off the tree, and yeah, and the same thing with like that the tiger jumps off a tree. Because we have a stuffed animal tiger. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some real inspiration behind the things that are in the book. So, so I vetoed those. I mean, I had to veto some ideas. I didn't really want to have any horror clowns killing people or, you know. <laughs> scary. Actually, or, one, girl, one girl said, I don't want to do that chapter with the clown. But see, actually, it's really funny because a lot of people were really scared with the clown chapter. And actually, some parents have <laughs> have been hesitant. They didn't want to buy it, right? Luna, you want to tell the story? Well, we were at how do you say Harvest Market? We were at a market trying to sell the books and then, last year before COVID. And then this one uh, kid came and asked if we could have the book. And then the mother said, um, if they may look at it, they asked. And in it was this picture of the horror clown. And um, the mom didn't want to buy it because she found it too scary. <laughs> but nothing scary happens in it. I mean, it's not actually, the story is not scary. It's just a naughty clown. Yeah. Yeah, but he looks scary. He and looks I scary. One, one girl in my class, you'll meet her next period. She said, I don't want to do that chapter. <laughs> 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 
Well, um, yeah. actually, some of you asked if we could teach you some uh, some cursing in in German. They all say yes. yes. Okay. There's one really uh, known one. It's it's Alter Schwede. It's and everybody always says Alter Schwede when something crazy happens. Alter Schweden. Well, Alter Schwede is like. Well, it's it's thought of as it's thought of as kind of. Um, Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's a bit vulgar, but it's kind of like, oh my god. Well, when we um we're translating, uh some of us notice that oh my god comes off a little bit um yeah, I I still think for children's books, people just don't say that. Yeah, I I thought about that too that in the states you just wouldn't do it. That's true. Yeah, you Not for a children's book. So we we were when we were translating, we thought we might make this a little softer. My goodness. Yeah, exactly. But for example, from that, people say alta, alta. That's like dude, uh -huh. man, bruh, you know, sort of. <laughs> bruh, alta. Oh, now you've taught them something they're going to use. Oh my gosh. Oh, they've got to get away from bruh. I'm telling you. If they could say alta, that would be better. Well, and then, then you can also say digger, digger. Digger? Alta, digger. What is that? Oh, digger. Digger, isn't that like somebody who works on the docks? Well, no, I think it's what comes from Dicker, like like the fat one, but it doesn't have anything to do with it. But you just call everybody Digger. 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 Wow. Oh, but these are, the, oh. these are the mild ones, okay? These are the oh, no. ones, okay? So. <laughs> hey, what are some I've already taught you? Stinkstiefel and Waschlappe are two I've taught them. A milch booby, they like that one. Milch booby? No one says milch booba. They do in southern Germany. Milch booba. Milch booby, yes, I've heard it. Yeah, but you say that when you're five. <laughs> hey, they're colorful insults. <laughs> <laughs> but but we have to zoom again when my son's there. He'll he'll go through a whole list. I mean, well, you've already given us a good one. Instead of bruh, we've got all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll, be it. I'll let you and get Lulu and get on with your evening. Okay. Uh, my students have a good time. They like doing this. Okay. Well, good night, Lulu. Night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I mean, as soon as we get this translation done, then I have a lady who's a graphic artist, and she's going to uh, format it for us and turn it into a PDF that I can submit to the publishers, and then we would have the book out for for Halloween, which would be really, really amazing. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, you guys have a nice day and see you guys. Then, then Lisa, you'll let me know, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Bye, you, you guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Let's move on to some specific examples of the difficulties the children faced while translating. First and foremost, in the original text, five German kids meet the American Halloween witch and help her translate an English spell into German. This book is written in German and the children speak German to each other. The foreign language the little American Halloween witch introduces is English. As the book progresses, the children learn more and more English words and can refer back to the new word in German, translating not only the word itself, but the whole concept. An example of a word they encounter is jack-o'-lantern. The direct translation, eine Kürbislaterne, does not fully express the idea of a jack-o'-lantern. With the German book, this is not a problem because the children can discuss in German the meaning of this new concept of a jack-o'-lantern. However, in the English version of the book, the German is already translated into English. So... How do you show the process of the children working towards finding the German spell? Again, I was not allowed to help with my theories or methods. The kids figured this all out on their own. The result was that they decided to make the Halloween witch not only American, 
but Texan. This allowed them to have a set of vocabulary and expressions for direct discourse that could still be slightly different from the English used for the narration. I was truly impressed. The kids also encountered several obstacles due to cultural differences. For example, in the book, the twins, Michael and Mia, or Michael and Mia, invite their friends, boys and girls, to spend a night in their treehouse together. The American kids found this problematic and were amazed that this was tolerated in Germany. Our children told the kids in Texas that friendships between boys and girls is quite normal at all ages in Germany, and that kids start spending the night at each other's houses already in kindergarten. In one of their Zoom sessions, the kids spoke about nudity and profanity. And for the record, there's absolutely no nudity or profanity in either the German or the English versions of the book. And yet, these topics received proportionately more attention than others. The children talked about how in Germany, kids are a lot more open about their bodies and about how nudity is not at all taboo. Naturally, the children also wanted to learn how to curse in German and in English. I was very proud of how the kids handled this on both sides of the Atlantic. The terminology discussed was very sweet and stayed away from the vulgar at all times. One saying that our daughter taught the kids in Texas was, for example, alta schwede, used to express astonishment. The saying stems from when Friedrich Wilhelm from Brandenburg used Swedish soldiers to train his armies and would show his satisfaction with their work by exclaiming, Old Swede, as in, good old Swede. Interestingly, as our daughter pointed out, der alte Schwede is also a giant rock from the Ice Age that weighs 217 tons and is displayed on the banks of the river Elbe. As a result, the saying alter Schwede is particularly popular in Hamburg. What snacks, sweets, and drinks were consumed in Texas and in Hamburg was also discussed in detail. Our children actually made a list of their favorite food items from this category. Here are a few of the items listed. Franzbrötchen. This is a type of sugary pastry with cinnamon. Quarkbällchen. These are little donuts with creamy cheese. Mohnkuchen. This is poppy seed cake. Bienenstich. This is a type of angel food cake with a creamy filling in the middle and caramelized almonds on top. Apfelschale is apple juice spritzer. Weißwurst mit Brezel, a favorite not just with the kids but with mom as well. This is a type of breakfast sausage eaten with honey mustard and pretzels. And the adults drink beer with it. The children also discussed serious topics, such as religion and racism. They talked about the different ethnic groups at American and German schools and about what measures teachers and districts take toward integration. On the question of religion, for example, they noted how taking the Lord's name is more accepted in Germany and more frowned upon in the US. As a result, the expression Mein Gott from the German book was translated as my goodness and not my God. With the help of Frau Mays, the children also explored other areas. They learned how to convert centimeters and meters into feet and yards. They learned that direct quotation is preceded by a colon in German and by a comma in English. They learned about free indirect discourse and what role this plays in storytelling. One obstacle could not be overcome, namely problems in translating humor. It is always very difficult to translate jokes or to make things funny across cultures. There was one funny part in the German version of the book that had to be left out of the English version completely because it just didn't translate. In the German version, in the part where the speaking spider appears, Mia gets scared and says, Ich glaube, ich spinne. She then faints. The expression means something like, 
I think I must be losing my mind. In German, however, this is expressed by saying something to the effect of mm, I think I am spinning, which in turn sounds like I spider. <laughs> it's a play on words. Funny in one language and absolute nonsense in the other. Finally, the children needed help from me and Frau Mays in making the translation sound a little less stiff. Having used dictionaries heavily and wanting to sound professional and appropriate, the kids came up with some pretty funny constructions. I would like to include two quotations from the original translation that made me smile. Here's one of them. Serendipitously, a beautiful vampire queen appeared in the distance. And here's the other. The beating the two old women were inflicting hurt greatly. They screamed so ominously and angrily, and when they weren't screaming, they grumbled in an incomprehensible and strange language. <laughs> Frau Mays and I helped straighten these out a bit and make them flow a little more naturally. But to see this, you'll have to read the book. I hope you enjoyed this episode on translating Halloween. If you'd like to pick up a copy of Halloween Travels or Halloween Abenteuer, both books are available in bookstores and on Amazon. If you do happen to read one of the books and you enjoy your read and have encouraging and positive messages for the children, please direct message them on the social media channels of Quadil Books and Events or write them an email at info at Messages will be passed on to the children and they would be very proud. Thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in next time. This is Dr. J signing out.